Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. Is there a metric? Is there a, an output? Is there a monetary value to our customer that is the reason we're continuing to do this? Or are we continuing to do this just because our industry all does it so we think we should? Or because someone on the internet told us that that was going to be a great strategy or because everyone else is doing it. And it's like, those are really bad reasons to keep doing something. I would argue that like, if everyone in your industry is doing it, maybe do something else. <laughs> Welcome to Epic Business Growth for CPAs. My name is Geraldine Carter, founder of She Thinks Big Coaching. This is the place to be if you're a CPA who wants to grow your accounting practice. Weekly episodes are full of strategies and action steps that create a clear path for growth without working harder. Time to get inspired and grow your business. My guest today is Adrienne Dorison, the co-founder of Run Like Clockwork. Alongside her business partner, Mike Michalowicz, she equips CEOs to design a business and team that can run itself like clockwork. Adrian has helped hundreds of CEOs increase their profit margins, develop the right systems, create bulletproof teams, and be able to take an unplugged vacation. Adrian has spent the past 10 years in the field of operational efficiency and has since created the most simplistic approach to making your business ultra efficient. She's personally passionate about baking in generosity into business models and believes when we earn more money, we can give more away. Adrian lives in St. Petersburg, Florida with her husband and their two dogs and a baby girl on the way. I wanted to interview Adrian to go deeper into the concepts in the book Clockwork so we as business owners can use these concepts to simplify our businesses, get more time and freedom back while making more money. Here's Adrian Dorison of Run Like Clockwork. Adrian Dorison, welcome to the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited. And thank you to Carol Cox of the Speaking Your Brand podcast for making this connection. Yeah, I love that. I always believe that we're like one degree of separation from the people that we need to know. It is absolutely true. And I'm so excited to have you on today to talk about clockwork and the concepts inside of it, because I see a lot of people struggling with the challenges that you talk about. So maybe a good place for us to start would be to kind of back up a little bit and take a bird's eye view of not just what is clockwork, but how did you come to the ideas that are inside the book and kind of give us a sense for, you know, how it came into being and why it came into being. Yeah. So my background is actually from the corporate world. So I worked in the manufacturing 
in a manufacturing corporation where my expertise was operational efficiency at this really large scale level. So how do we get better results inside of the organization while using less resources was the focus, right? So how can we make everything that we do more efficient? So the idea there is removal of waste, right? Like, and when I think about waste, I think about time, energy, money, labor, anything that it's costing us to get those results. How can we um, reduce the amount that we're inputting and get more output? And so I was doing this at that kind of large scale for um, the corporation that I was working with and just became clear to me that my value system wasn't really aligned with the corporate value system anymore. And I needed to make a change. I didn't really have the intention of becoming an entrepreneur. I just kind of realized I needed a change and I needed to exit there. So I started doing some consulting on the side. I was like, Hey, maybe the stuff that I do in this corporation could be applicable to other types of business owners, small business owners. I had some friends that were running small businesses and I thought maybe this maybe the same principles that I'm applying here could be helpful to them and their businesses. And so I started doing like some free stuff first. And then I started consulting and this was all on the side of my corporate job because I really needed to make sure I could actually get people results and and make sure that I liked it. Cause I think in my head I could really romanticize, you know, having a my own business and getting out of the corporate world. Um, so I did that for um, six months kind of on the side and then it became its own beast and I needed to leave the corporate job and turn that into a full-time thing. So started my own consulting business doing operational efficiency, but now for small business owners. And that was about six years ago. And so over the past six years, I've been working on how do we take those efficiency principles that work really well for the corporate world and start applying them to a smaller business. What do we need to tweak? What do we need to change? How does the framework um, exist for a small business owner? And so that's what I've essentially been working on with private clients in the consulting business. And then um, about two years ago, I was doing this work and Mike was also simultaneously writing the clockwork book. So Mike McCallowitz is my partner in Run Like Clockwork, and he was trying to understand how can we get business owners this operations support um, that, that he knew that they needed, um, but he wasn't the expert on it. So he was looking for people who kind of had that expertise and we had a mutual friend. So here you go with like your one degree of separation <laughs> away. Um, we had a mutual friend who said, that's exactly what Adrian does. You have to talk to her. And so Mike interviewed me for the book once and then and that was really what it was supposed to be just like one interview and he does that a lot for a lot of his books and then it turned into second third fourth <laughs> calling me all the time <laughs> texting me what do you think of this um how would you you know think about this does this apply to a real world scenario so mike is really great at like synthesizing ideas but he knew that he was not the actual expert on the frameworks or operational efficiency. And so we ended up collaborating on the frameworks for clockwork and putting a lot of joint intellectual property into that book. And then he asked me, um, hey, would you be interested in kind of running the company? Because he had 
he had Profit First, um, the book, and he knew that when he wrote Profit First, what his intention was, was that he wrote everything and gave everyone all the answers inside. Like, here's the system, right? Mm -hmm. And, And that's kind of how he wrote Clockwork as well. It's how all of his books are written, really systematic, like here's the step-by-step, go out and do it. But then when he wrote Profit First, people started reaching out and saying, but can you help me with this? Right. Help me do this. I need more support. And so he, from, from that experience and from starting that business, he knew before he even launched the book that he wanted to provide more support for people. And he also knew that he wasn't going to be the one able to do that, both because He's a writer and a speaker, and that's what he really wants to spend his time on. And he's not an operational efficiency expert. He's like, I can synthesize these ideas. I can talk about them in our frameworks, but there's a lot of nuances once people we start working with people. And so he asked me to run the company because that is what I love to do is actually work with people and consult on that. So that's kind of how things came to be. Um, I started the company, we partner and I try to keep him out as much as (laughs) not because Uh I don't love him. Um, but because that's in his best interest and it's Mm -hmm. in our company's growth best interest for him to go out and write the next book, which he has now done. Um, and speak about profit first clockwork, anything that's kind of related to this you know, universe that Mike now has created for himself. And so I run the Run Like Clockwork team and work with our clients um, if they want to read the book and then take it a step further. So you could just read the book, but many people are like, I need more of that help. Yeah. Okay, great. So when you say run the company, the company includes things like the one-on-one support for those who have read the book, need more of it. Exactly. So that's kind of our next steps with people. We have a program called the Accelerator. It's a you know group plus um, live event. So Mike does do the live event with me. That's like my one request of him. Um, but other than that, like we service all of our clients. So I'm running the team, working with clients, developing any additional intellectual property that needs to happen. You know, relative to the clockwork system. So there's always like, when you write a book, there's always more things that you want to teach or more things that as you work with more people, you're like, oh, we need to adapt this or this could use another framework, that type of thing. And so all of that lives with me. And then sometimes I'll share that stuff with Mike and he's like, oh, that's great. (laughs) Right. And then he can go and talk about those things too. Okay. So you made the jump over from corporate to working with entrepreneurs and small business owners. So talk to us a little bit about how you adapted what, not so much how you adapted, but what it was that small business owners benefit from. Like, What do they see in the tools and in clockwork and your knowledge of operational efficiencies that is useful to them? Yeah. So when I was working in the corporate world, it was very common for me to identify an opportunity for an improvement that might be two to $3 million a month in cost savings, right? Something where we would have to make a change in our process or our system, um, or a team member might need to shift somewhere, something like that. And I would propose, you know, I would identify, do the data research, like figure out like, here's an opportunity for us to create this cost savings, create a proposal, submit for change, and then, you know, either get approved, denied. And many times, even those things that were 
$3 million a month weren't enough for them to even improve. It wasn't enough to make a, make the change that, you know, the change management that was going to be needed on support side to, to do wasn't worth it to them. So those things were super frustrating for me, as well as I identified that small business owners are much more agile, much more willing, yes. and much more able to make changes like that. And it helped me to realize that like corporations have a lot of resources that they can just burn. So even though my job was to help them you know, identify where we could save resources and get better results. It wasn't always the highest priority uh, in in the company. Whereas with small business owners, I actually believe they need operational efficiency even more so because you don't have as many resources to burn. (laughs) Like you're at limited capacity in terms of your time, money, and energy. And so the, the principles apply, but often we have to adapt them for a one person team or a small team or something that's like, you know, takes months and months to build out in terms of a tool that like really might take 10 meetings in corporate for us to really build out. Like that's not something that's that a, that a solopreneur that an entrepreneur is going to want to carry through that they're even going to have the stamina to stick with. And so I had to simplify a lot of these tools and figure out what is what do we really need and how can they think through this efficiency lens on their own um, through the tools that we're looking at uh, and and how can I prove to them that you know by saving these resources it's going to help them grow more quickly it's going to help them save more of their time because I think you know as entrepreneurs we're you know we, we don't really love the word hustlers but like we're willing to do the work right but sometimes that can bite us in the butt because we're doing things that we don't actually need to be doing like we're just doing right and so helping them identify like where they could cut things where it wouldn't actually impact their results or actually make a positive impact on their results but mostly had to simplify a lot of the things that I would have maybe applied in a corporate setting Um, so I spent years kind of sifting through those tools and trying to understand how can we simplify this? Is this one really necessary? And I continue to do that, right? Like everything that's in clockwork, it's not like everything that I know from the corporate world. It's like what I've simmered down into like the least amount that you need to know to make this really effective for you. Um, and then we can always pull more when needed. But I think the simplification and the agility of small business owners is what makes them a really good candidate for efficiency tools. But I think our focus is often on marketing sales. And like, if we could just get more, 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 or if we could just do more, 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 yeah. then we'll be fine. And that's like a never ending race. And so to convince them and to help them understand like how valuable efficiency can be, is like my mission is like what I love to do because we see our clients all the time working less hours, making more money, feeling much more confident because they know they're doing the right things and they're not wasting time, money, energy in areas that aren't going to grow the business. So what are some of the key places that you look first for efficiencies? Well, number one is time. Like I, we do like a pretty in-depth time analysis for our uh, owners first. And then if they have team members, we roll it out to them, but it will depend in terms of like what the company spends the most of their time doing. 
um, and like what that organization is. But I think that when we can take a really deep look at where your time is actually going, then we can also start to save money and energy, right? Like I, I usually don't actually go to the money first. Um, I want to look at where your time is going and understand, are these things necessary? And then we can start attaching those time pieces, like where are you spending your time? Like, does this actually, like, do we have a metric that shows us this actually brings in money? Because a lot of times we're doing things in our, with our time, we're spending time on a lot of projects or, you know, let's say we have, you know, we've seen clients cut entire revenue streams because when we worked it out and chased that rabbit all the way to the end of like where it's supposed to bring us money, we're like, we spend all this time and energy and money on this revenue stream and it's actually our least profitable source. So let's just cut it all together. So if we can first identify like, where's your time going? And then link that to, are these good things to be doing with your time? then we can make better, more confident decisions around that. But that's the entire framework of of clockwork is starting with understanding where your time is going and also understanding where is your time, you know, most valuably spent. And I think that oftentimes as entrepreneurs, we just get caught up in doing everything. Mm -hmm. We don't sit back and take like a really, you know, good look at like, is this the most valuable thing for me to be doing with this time though? Is there something that I could spend that time that would actually give me double the results or more, you know, out if I would just cut back on doing some of these other things that maybe, because it's going to feel uncomfortable to stop doing things that you've always done. But that was one of the like most triggering lines for me in the corporate world when I would go to an employee um, and have to communicate that we were going to make a change. And here's what I would, you know, love for us to, to test out, to try to start doing. And they'd say, well, but this is the way we've always done it. I'm like, that is a really horrible reason. To keep <laughs> but we do that every single day as entrepreneurs because we're not taking a good inventory of like, why do we, you know, really keep doing this? Is there a metric? Is there a, an output? Is there a monetary value to our customer that is the reason we're continuing to do this? Or are we continuing to do this just because our industry all does it? So we think we should... Yes, or because someone on the internet told us that that was going to be a great strategy, or because everyone else is doing it. And it's like those are really bad reasons to keep doing something. I would argue that like if everyone in your industry is doing it, maybe do something else. Right, <laughs> like, that might be the perfect thing to stop doing. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the the first area, and we go really deep there with people to get a really good understanding of how do we need to shift things. Mm. So, in terms of time spent, what are some common things that you see people spending time on that they either should not be spending time on, or what are some things that you see that they know they want to get to, but they can't seem to allocate the time to get there, mm-hmm. or they don't even see it yet, like it's a blind spot. Yeah. So things that they spend a lot of time on that they shouldn't, number one is probably meetings. And I think that goes for like corporations all the way through to the small business owner. Like we're ingrained to think that we should have meetings. Um, and I'm not an advocate for having no meetings. Cause I do think, especially in the remote work world where maybe some of your contractors or team members, you know, don't even work in the same office as you sometimes. I do think communication is really valuable, super important. 
but the average meeting time across the board is an hour, 60 minutes. And there's no reason for that. It's just because that's, that's what we block. That's what a calendar like automatically will block (laughs) when we first started using like online calendar systems. So we just use that. And Parkinson's law states that a task will expand or contract with the amount of time that we give it. And so if you give a meeting an hour, it's going to take you an hour. But if you give it 30 minutes, it's going to take you 30 minutes, right? So just even noticing like, hey, maybe I still need this meeting, but maybe I could cut it to 30 minutes or 15 minutes. And really taking a, an, an assessment or an inventory of like, is this meeting just something we continue to do because we've always done it? Um, or is there a real purpose for it? So like, I don't even accept meetings if there's not like a real purpose. So my team can like request meetings of me, but like when they do, they know that they have to like, be really clear with like, what's the purpose of this meeting? Is Does Adrian really need to be there, right? Like maybe not, right? Maybe they could run it on their own without me. My team also has free reign to deny meeting requests if if I'm requesting one and I haven't been clear about what the purpose is or if, if they don't think they're actually someone who needs to be privy to that information necessarily and they can just get it in a recap or something like that if they're not integral to the meeting. So I do think that like exercising that right and power is really helpful. We've seen clients even just like swoop through a, um, a time, a week of their time and recoup two, three, five hours sometimes just yeah. in meetings that they're like, Oh, I could either just shorten these or I don't need to have these at all. Or maybe I should do these less frequently. Right. So that's a big one that just, I think we fall victim to. Um, I think distractions are a huge one <laughs> that we're not even aware of, especially with our digital world. Like a lot of times we don't realize how distracted we actually are throughout the day. So taking an inventory is one way, like doing a time tracking is a really good way to get honest with yourself mm-hmm. and understand how much time you're actually spending on real work. It's shocking for some people, but it's just, it, there's nothing wrong with you. It's not that you're a bad person. It's just you have to build new and better habits, right? And that's a lot of what we work on with our clients is figuring out like, where are those distractions coming in? Because sometimes it's, you know, if you're a solopreneur and it's just you on your own, sometimes it's you going to Facebook and just ending up scrolling for an hour or thinking you're doing something productive and then you've lost an hour or two hours, 15 minutes here or there, right? And those things add up. Um, Other times, if you have a team, Distractions can come in the form of what we call the deciding work type, which is when you have a team or you have contractors. And when I say team, I mean anyone who's supporting you in the business, even if that's your 12-year-old child (laughs) or your mom who's helping you with some tasks, right? Like if anyone is supporting you in this business with doing work, they're part of your team in some capacity. And anytime that they cannot be more autonomous in their role. And they're coming to you with questions because you own the decisions. So it sounds like this, like, what should I do next? Mm -hmm. Or can you review this for me? Or I need an approval on this thing. Or um, do you want this or that? Do you want red or black? Or how would you like this to look, right? So all of these decisions that end up on your plate. And typically those come through the form of questions all day long, which are huge distractions to you actually executing real high value work. So if your work is typically as the entrepreneur, as the, as the CEO, as the business owner, the work that you need to be doing is probably pretty slim in terms of like what work you really need to be doing versus what you could get a team's support on. 
So you really have to identify like, what is the most valuable work for me to be doing and how much of my time is actually being spent on that. And usually it's really low, like Mm -hmm. one, two, five hours a week sometimes on that really high value work. And that's because either one, you're trying to do everything still, or two, you have team members that still can't operate autonomously and you're still getting a bunch of things back onto your plate. And then what happens is sometimes people go, it was just easier when I did it all myself. So let me fire everyone and go back to just doing everything. So that's kind of a cycle, but that's like where we see a lot of people immediately, you know, losing a lot of time throughout their week and then thinking like, I'm exhausted the week's gone. What did I get done? Like, why didn't I get any of my own work done? Why isn't this business growing? And it's like, because you're not spending your time in the right places. So we got to clean that up. That is the archetypal story of an entrepreneur, right? Who works on their own, is trying to get everything done, has a team that is constantly coming to them with direction, with requests for decisions, you know, and one of the things in there was that you didn't touch on, but I know exists is decision fatigue. Oh, for sure. The most neurologically taxing thing that we can do is make decisions, right? So when you think about that, not only are you, that's why you're exhausted at the end of the day, but you're like, I didn't get anything done. Like, how could I be exhausted? And I always use this this, uh, conversation of what happens next is your husband asks you, hey, what's for dinner? And you're like about to end up on Dateline because you're going to murder him. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but but, totally. And then the people that we love the most get the worst of us at the end of the day when they're asking a simple question that wouldn't usually be triggering, but it's like, you've made decisions all day long. It's like, it's the last thing I really care about at this moment. And so throughout the day, not only are you getting more fatigued and taxed neurologically by those decisions, but your decisions also get worse and worse. So Mm. think about the decisions that you really need to save that brain power for in the business are going to be the high level strategic visionary decisions. Like that's what I want you to spend your decision-making power on the big ones, because if you're spending all day making decisions that are minute, um, you're still taxing that decision-making muscle. And then let's say by the end of the day, you need to make a decision on strategically, what are we going to do next to grow the revenue of the company next quarter? Like you're exhausted and like, and now you're making poor decisions in really high value areas or Mm. you're lashing out at your partner, your kids, you're making poor decisions for dinner, maybe even health wise, because you just don't have anything left in you. And it's like, being aware of that is super important because the reason they're also coming to you is number one, they uh, probably don't have enough information or haven't been given permission to make those decisions, but also because it's neurologically taxing. So why wouldn't they pass it off to you, right? It's it's taxing for them. Just go to somebody else for the right answer. So Exactly. And it's less, um, I always talk about like the psyche of our team members as well, because it's actually probably even more neurologically taxing for them to make those decisions because they have way more at risk typically, um, like their job, because if they get that decision Mm -hmm. wrong and if they think you're the only one that knows the right decision, it's really scary for them to make some of those decisions. If you haven't ever given them permission to do so, or if they're operating blindly and you've never like really given them enough knowledge or information to make those decisions well, which is probably why you don't trust them to make them or why they don't trust themselves to make them, right? Because we've never done that like information knowledge transfer that we need to do. Um, But it's really scary for them to make decisions too. So even just 
getting into their mindset is sometimes really helpful to give our, to give a little bit more empathy of like, Oh, it's not that they're not a good team member. It's not that they're not cut out for this. Cause I think a lot of times we release or fire, um, really good people who we thought had potential, but truly it's because we haven't given them the tools that they need to actualize that, that turns this into a situation where they're not meeting your expectations. And it's like, they can't meet your expectations if they have no idea where you're going or that you've never given them permission to do so. So it's like this catch 22 that you can get yourself in with team members of, of all types. So I remember this so acutely from my days of running Climate Ride that at the end of the day, I you know, was just bombarded with questions and decisions all day long about should this be red or should this be black? And coming home at the, you know, five o'clock and just needing to bury my face in my petunias and deadhead them for an hour in order to rejuvenate and be able to face the world again. Right. So when entrepreneurs find themselves in this situation of, you know, time is getting squandered to distractions of there are inefficiencies at many corners, their time is not being spent on high level stuff. They're exhausted at the end of the day. Where do you think they need to start? Yeah, so I have a framework that I that I talk about when we're trying to transition from what we call the deciding work type to the fully delegated work type, because that's where we need to get your team members to remove you from that decision fatigue and really get them to a place where they can be doing things for the business that help the business grow without coming to you for a million questions a day, because that's also a huge inefficiency to the growth of the business. Every time they have to come to you, they're not spending time on their role in growing the business and and moving things forward. So we want to get them to a place where they can be much more autonomous. So I always have our clients identify um, one of three reasons why a team member is not making a decision. So I've kind of boiled this down into three reasons they're not making a decision. So number one is they don't have permission. So like we talked about, do have we really handed over permission for them to make that decision? So sometimes we're frustrated when a team member isn't making a decision and we're just thinking like, why aren't they making this on their own, right? Like, why aren't they just answering this? Like, why are they coming to me? Yet we continue to answer it. So we're continuing (laughs) to train them, but they don't have permission, right? Every time we continue to answer it and continue to make that decision and hold, what we're doing is holding on to that control a little bit. We're frustrated with them and they think that they actually don't have permission to make it. So really questioning, like, do they have permission to make this? Have I ever formally handed over permission? And, and if you want, if you believe they should have permission, the next time they come to you, or you could do it today with anything that you're like, these areas, you have full permission to make decisions in this area. Or when they come to you, you could, you could just let them know, hey, I know you've always come to me for this decision, but I want to like knight you <laughs> and give you full permission for now and in the future that like, this is something you can absolutely go forward and and make decisions on. I trust you, right? So you can just go ahead and give that permission to them. But that's reason number one, they're not making a decision. They don't think they're allowed to. You can also take away permission. So this sometimes happens. People are like, oh, I think I, I did give them permission, but they are still coming to me. And I'm like, well, at some point you accidentally took that away by either changing the decision after they made it 
or by like uh. inserting self and stepping in and saying like, oh, you made this decision, but like, I'm going to, ch- I know you picked black, but I really wanted red. Actually, I'm going to usurp your decision. <laughs> I'm going to usurp your decision because it wasn't correct. So now they think, because now you've just blown their confidence. They're right. like, oh, I, I don't really know how to make this decision. Clearly she wants to continue making this decision. So now they're going to continue to come to you until you reinforce again, you actually have permission. Here's why I chose red instead of black. You can, you know, now, you know, for the future. So, but you still have permission. So you just got to make sure you, you do that correctly. Um, if you do need to make a change, because sometimes people are like, but what if I really do need to make a change? And then I'm like, well, if you need to make a change, then they probably didn't have number two, which is uh, information. So the second reason they're not making decisions is because they don't have enough information to make a good decision, which, like I said earlier, is very scary for them. So if you are asking them to make decisions and the information lives in your head or it lives on a Google Doc that they don't have access to or it lives in your computer that they don't have access to those files or if they can't find those files or if there's a client database or if they don't know this information about a client, right? All these things that is information that they really need to make good decisions for the company so that they can stick around so that you can start to trust them more to make those decisions. Like we have to transfer that information. So sometimes it's really easy to transfer information. And it's like just literally sharing a Google Drive or a Google Doc that like, oh, here's all the information or a CRM that has like client information or something like that. Other times it's something that lives in your head and you have to really slow down and say, what am I thinking through to help me make this decision, right? So just like I use that example of like, here's why I picked red instead of black, gives them some information and some insight that they can use for the future. So we always try to capture that in some way, um, whether it's through a decision tree. So we might even slow down and say like, I know that you just know that someone gets read, but there is something that your brain is actually going through in terms of a series of events to, you know, if this, then that type of thinking. Um, you are just so well versed in it that your brain just does it in like a second. You don't have to think through it as slowly. And so I always tell, I know that it's easier for you to just say red, (laughs) but in the long run, it will be much more effective and efficient if this person can also learn why it's red, right? So if we could slow you down a second and say, okay, if, if this if the customer has over $500 of, you know, past, you know, revenue, then we do this. And if they also have been a previous customer for five years, then I do that. And if this, then I choose red or whatever. So slowing yourself down to transfer that information, because if if they don't have the information to make decisions, they still might go ahead and make them if, if you've given them permission and you really have tried to, you know, get them to to be more autonomous, but they might be wrong. And now you're going, going to usurp the decision because you're like, but you made the wrong decision, but that's not their fault typically if there's not enough information. So it sounds to me like unbeknownst to you, you have a decision-making algorithm. For sure, we all do. Right? And they don't know what it is. And you don't know what it is because you've never stopped to think about it. You just have the whole equation like all in your head yeah. and you zip right through it. So yes. you need to stop and be like, okay, what is my algorithm for making this decision and hand it to them and be like, here's how you walk through 
how to decide exactly. these things. And we have some tools for that that we teach in the program because sometimes it will be different, right? Like it dep- like sometimes it's just your experience or sometimes it's more based in um, your culture or your guidelines that we, we help um, teams like create uh, what we call just like having some company guidelines, right? Because it might not be necessarily uh, an algorithm, but it might be, we are a company that values diversity. And so when there is a speaking opportunity for me, um, before you make a decision, you need to also look at, um, you know, what is the diversity of the panel that I'm going to be on or the room that I'm going to be in? Like, are they valuing that as a company that we want to be aligned with? Right. So that could be something that I'm not necessarily running through an algorithm in my head, but just based on our values or our guidelines of who we are, could you give that team member just enough information about like who we are as a culture, who we are as a company to be able to make that decision in the future or any nuanced decision in the future? Because what we want is to get them to a point where it's not always going to be um, as simple as red or black, or it's not going to be a question that you've ever gotten before. Um, But they need to understand how the business would think. How would the business make this decision, even if it's not even the exact same decision that Adrian would make? Um, But what would the company of Run Like Clockwork, how would they make that decision, right? So even thinking, um, removing, I like to remove myself and I like to think about the entity because then I think it's a little bit easier to hand over decisions because if we're always thinking about ourselves and how I would make this decision, it doesn't give other people a lot of room to, to grow or to help move the vision forward um, because maybe I wouldn't have made that exact decision. But is it still within what the company would make? Yeah, it's still correct within what the company would make. And as long as they feel like they can stand on what we call like some of those company guidelines or uh, principles that they can point to and say, here's why I made this decision. I'm like, you're totally right. Like, that's a very valid decision. I think that will help you grow the company faster and with people that you can trust is, is because you will get in into a trap if you're always thinking, but I would do it this way. Right. Right, 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 right. It's too nitpicky, right? Because you have to remove yourself at some point from that situation. I always like to think of Mark Zuckerberg with Facebook, like, or let's use a different, <laughs> I'm so well, not about Facebook yeah. at the moment, but I like to think about Target. Like the CEO of Target is not out there being like, should I put this organic baby shampoo on the third shelf or the fourth shelf? Right. Or should we even accept this product into our store? Like they're not making those decisions right. anymore. Just like, I mean, I say Facebook because like the features that Facebook rolls out, like Mark Zuckerberg sure. doesn't even know that those features are about to roll out because yeah. his engineers have full capacity to test and play and improve and build things, right? Like yeah. they can't come to him every time they have an idea and say, hey, we want to roll out this live feature. Yeah, can you imagine? I don't know how many like 10,000 employees being like, hey, Mark. We would like to test this or we have an idea. This? Right. Same thing with Tesla. I know that Elon Musk is actually really great at this because he gets ideas even from users on Twitter. I've seen this happen before where, where someone's uh, actually submitted to Elon Musk. They tweeted at him and they said, you should have a dog mode feature in the car where you can leave your dog in the car. You, you know, press the button, put it on dog mode so that the air conditioning is running or something like that. 
but we don't, you know, but you can leave the dog in the car and the car is not running or the dog can't, you know, hit it. Put the car in drive. Exactly. (laughs) Which actually happened last weekend, right? Oh my God. You saw that story. In Florida, I think, right? Oh, I didn't see it. No. Yeah, the dog was apparently doing donuts and the car was doing donuts in the cul-de-sac. Oh my God. Mark put it, had bumped it into reverse. See, so no, we don't want that. Good idea from the Twitter user. So good idea, right? And so they submitted it on Twitter and he doesn't, you know, he just hands it over to his engineers. He's not nitpicking of like how we should actually do this because Tesla is like a software type of program, right? Like a week later, dog mode is rolled out and all, all the users have to do is upgrade their thing, you know, do the status update. And now, now there's dog mode. So it's like, <laughs> if, if he were to get involved in all the nitpicky decisions yeah. and run throughs, like if he were to really say, I need full control over this, it wouldn't work as quickly as it does. He wouldn't able, he wouldn't be able to be as innovative as he is. I actually just saw the release of their newest truck. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. have a, pickup truck and it was really interesting um because he was doing a demo when he was re- when he was like releasing it and there's a video of this where he's talking about the car the car's you know the truck's right behind him and they talked about how they built in shatterproof windows onto this truck and so it was very clear that he had not been involved in the prototype in the building in the decision making around it in he was responsible for the vision probably right so he turns around and throws a baseball at one of the windows that is supposed to be shatterproof and it actually shatters. And he does it to the back window and to see if that one is going to shatter. And it also shatters. And so this is just an example of like, even though it didn't work perfectly, like he still stood up there. He continued to go on. Like it's, it's, he's sold a ton of these trucks already. Right. It's like, it doesn't really matter because his role is like continuing to move the vision forward. It's okay that there were some mistakes made. There's always going to be, you don't lose it or fire that person or, you know, go bananas because everything wasn't perfect or exactly the way that you needed it to be. Was he probably upset? Maybe, but you roll with it and you know that that's not your most important job is figuring out, are these windows actually shatterproof? They weren't, but they're supposed to be. (laughs) So they'll fix it. Right. But just an example, like you can't be super holding on to all of the control if you really want to be someone who moves that company forward. Yeah. If you want to grow your business, you cannot be the lid on the pot. No, exactly. So the first two. Yeah. Permission, information. And number three. Number three is confidence. And this one is, you know, usually a product of they don't have permission or information. And so then they're lacking confidence. Mm -hmm. And if you're lacking confidence to make Mm -hmm. decisions, it will be way less likely that you're going to do that. Or um, they might be lacking confidence because you've showcased that maybe you don't trust them in some capacity. Um, That could be stepping in and and trying to micromanage. Um, It could be they're not showing confidence because they're new to the team, right? Like maybe they're new and they don't really understand the company yet, or they don't understand you yet. So just know that like part of your role as a leader is to identify, like, is this person lacking some confidence around here? And how can you pour into that? How can you build that? How can you empower them? How can you start to trust them? And, and doing that with like small steps, right? So don't give them a huge decision that might break the business to make first give them small decisions and then acknowledge those decisions. Say, wow, like you're doing a great job. I love that you made a decision on this without me. That's amazing. It was totally the correct decision or it's absolutely exactly what I want you to do. So continuing to build your trust in them. And when you're building your trust, 
their confidence is also going to improve at that same time. So that can help with getting that to a bigger decision in the future is like knowing and acknowledging maybe this person needs some more confidence and that's my role to help build that over time. I've also had team members who are just lacking confidence because they've worked in really volatile workplaces before they came to our company. They have a little bit of PTSD sometimes from working with a, a, a you know a, a manager or a supervisor or a CEO who did not trust them to make decisions in the past. So this might be new for them, right? And so they might just be like really on edge and not confident about doing that. Um, or any time that they make that they do make a mistake, after that there might be a little bit of confidence building that you need to do again, right? So there's of course mistakes that are made at our company, even though like, this is what we do. This is what we teach, but it does not mean that we're perfect. But I know as a leader, when someone makes a mistake, it's my most important role to actually build their confidence right after that and and reassure them that like, it's okay. We all make mistakes. What can we learn from this? And I'd still trust you to make decisions in this area. Like you got this, like just because you made a mistake does not mean that (laughs) it's over for you or help them like debrief those mistakes, learn the lessons, build their confidence again. um, So that they're, they're operating within a safe space to do that. And the, the safer they feel, the more confident they'll feel, the more decisions they'll make. So it kind of turns cyclical again too. Yeah. It becomes a virtuous cycle. Yes, absolutely. So we would be remiss if we didn't touch on the queen bee role. So talk to us a little bit about what is the queen bee role and why people want to figure out what that is so that they can put it to use to grow their business. Yeah. So when we were, you know, working on the idea of operational efficiency and bringing it to small businesses, we wanted to understand like, what are the most efficient organizations on the planet? And yes, we looked to companies like Toyota and Coca-Cola, ones that have really historically been involved in operational efficiency. But what we found is that the most efficient organization on the planet was a bee colony. Usually efficiency is best found in nature, of course. Um, And so a bee colony is the most efficient organization on the planet. And so we were trying to understand what were they doing? What decisions were they making around how they operated uh, to make them so efficient? And one of the things that we found, there's tons of things that make them really efficient. But one of the things that we found was that they knew what the most important activity inside of that colony was in order to survive. So we apply that to your business. We want to think about like, what is the most important activity in order for you to survive in your industry, in your marketplace, whatever you want to, you know, call it. So for the bees, there is actually what we call the queen bee role. So we call it the queen bee role because it's not just about the queen as an individual. It doesn't really matter who is performing the role. Um, It just matters that the queen bee role is actually being performed. So when I say individuals, it doesn't matter. It just means that like if the queen were to get sick or if she couldn't perform this duty, they would actually off her or she would, you know, off herself. She would remove herself from that job so that they could spawn a new queen to go ahead and do and perform that role. So the queen bee role in a bee colony is the laying of the eggs. It's the most important thing that the the colony does to continue to survive, but they still do other things. And so this is where it gets tricky for people. They're like, but 
aren't there other things in my company I have to do? Yes, of course, there's other activities that you have to do, but it's really important for you to identify what is your queen bee role? What is the laying of the eggs for your organization? Whereas with the other roles that the the bees do, right? Some are responsible for going out and getting food. Some are responsible for nursing the young larvae. Some are responsible for cleaning out the cells inside of the hive to prepare for new eggs. Those are all important things, but none of those things actually matter if the laying of the eggs isn't happening, right? Because that's the most important thing that we do. And they will stop doing all of those other things in order to protect the laying of the eggs. So there was this story um, that I saw in like a science magazine of 20,000 bees that followed their queen for three days on the back of a car in order to protect her. So they (laughs) abandoned all other roles, all other activities in order to protect that queen. They're like, this is actually more important than us going and getting food. They operate at a level of efficiency that they could go without all of those other things for a period of time, as long as the queen is still able and to, to lay eggs. So we want to think about that as it relates to your company. What is the most important activity that you do to survive in the marketplace? So yes, there are other roles that matter and are important, but they're by the nature of being the most important, there can only be one. And so it's hard for people to narrow this down, but this will create ultra efficiency inside your business, because what this will do is allow you to make better decisions. We've had people identify their queen bee role and then remove entire revenue streams or entire areas of their business that they're like, these things don't even matter. Or they're able to cut down maybe on the features that they provide to a client. So say they have a, you know, a a service that they provide and they really identify like, what is the queen bee role? Like what is the activity that is most important to for this company to deliver on. And once they do that, they realize, hey, we you know, typically deliver all 10 of these things, but maybe we only need to deliver these three and we could still get them the same result. So it creates ultra efficiency as well as maximizes your uh, team members' autonomy by them being able to understand what is the most important thing that we do and how do I relate to that as a team member? What's my role in that? How do I protect and serve that? So that's like a lot of the work that we do inside of our programs is like helping people identify that and then helping them understand how it applies to their team members and how it applies to everything that they're doing so they can start to eliminate even more waste. Like I talked about at the beginning, right? Like we want to reduce time, money, energy. um, And the way that we can do that is identify like what is the most important thing that we do and then start trimming things back from there. Mm, I love this because so many of us have more on our plates than we can possibly get to. And this seems like a really accessible way to begin to isolate what the things are that we can start pushing off our plates. So this is a really great way to circle back right to the beginning. So if you were to recommend that people start in one place, what is the first thing they do in order to start this process? Yeah. So the first thing that I always have our clients do, people who read the book do, people who just listen to this episode do, is I want you to track your time for an entire week. So I want you to, and I know that it's not fun. um, It is not fun. It's not fun. I do it every quarter, (laughs) myself and my entire team. We still do it every quarter. But I want you to get five days of good data, right? And my uh, college statistics professor used to always tell us like, garbage in is garbage out, right? So (laughs) you have to be really honest with that data, like be as 
specific as you possibly can and detailed as you possibly can um, with that data so that you can get a really good idea of like, where is my time even going right now? Because you could start cleaning up and, and freeing up some of your time just by doing that one tool, right? If you take yeah. that tool and look at that data and then do like a debrief on it and really understand like, what do we need to keep? What do we need to, what we call trash? What do we need to trim? Which might be like, you know, slimming down that maybe we still need to have the meeting, but maybe we can turn it into 30 minutes instead. Um, and what do we need to transfer? So what do we need to take from our plate and maybe put it onto someone else's plate on the team or someone else in the future could potentially do this for us. So just by doing that and then taking some small action steps forward on that, you can start shifting your time really quickly. And if you do that and spend that time in more valuable places, so there's two things you can do with your time once you look at it, right? You can free it up and spend it more in your life, right? Like some people just really need to, to work less. They need more time for their family. They need to just take a, take a little uh, break in terms of working more hours. You don't need to work more hours maybe, but freeing up this time will help you give some of that time back to yourself. The second thing you can do with that freed up time is put it into a more valuable work type, right? So if you're going to you know, keep working, let's say an eight hour day, now you've freed up two hours a day. What are you going to do with those two hours? I want you to identify like what's something more valuable for me to do during that time than I was doing before. Now you're going to grow the company even faster by putting that time in the right place. So I think that, you know, it's just based on your, where you are personally, where you are seasonally, where you are emotionally in terms of what you want to do with that time. But even taking time away for the personal will actually grow the business. Like spoiler alert, <laughs> um, <laughs> both of those things are going to grow the business, yes, right? If you do totally. that time tracking yes. and then do either one of those things, if you're freeing up that time, because now you're more refreshed coming into the business the next day. You're actually working on things you're excited about. You aren't as resentful of you know showing up. You're just able to make better decisions and, and able to you know fully focus on the things that really need your attention. So I, even if it's you know spending more time with the family, I know this from personal experience. Like that will still grow the business um, just in a different way. So thinking about like what does the business need right now? It's also you know sometimes super uncomfortable for people to not be working all that time. Well, yeah, you've got to face what that might mean yes. <laughs> or what you're avoiding by staying at work. What are you avoiding? Exactly. Yeah. The busyness yes. that you're trapping yourself in. Mm -hmm. What is it doing for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. A difficult but worthwhile question to ask oneself. Oh, uh, for sure. And yeah. that's like, once we start like really clockworking, mm -hmm. that's the existential question yes. that people start having to face. But working through that with people is so beautiful, right? For them to start realizing the company can still grow. I don't have to be here 40, mm -hmm. hour, 40 plus hours a week or thinking about it 24 seven. And what I was avoiding by doing that was a relationship with my partner. Mm -hmm. And wow, look what we've created. Or I'm, I'm uncomfortable with my children. I don't know. Like, I don't feel like I know what to do with them. Or, I, don't I, don't I don't know how to relate to a two-year-old. I don't know how to relate. It's easier for and me so to just send email. It's easier for me to just work, right? Or I don't know what my hobbies are anymore. I don't even know who I am without the business, right? So those are the questions yeah. that we start to get to as you get closer and closer to fully clockworking the business. But 
as scary as they are, they're like the most rewarding things that you can start to think about too. I've been reading some Alan Weiss lately and he says that wealth is time freedom. A hundred percent. The ability to do what you want with your time when you want it. Way more valuable than the money. Yeah, and having to shift your mindset around what that means as it relates to your work. Adrian, this has been such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on the Epic Business Growth for CPAs podcast. Thank you for having me. I hope that this was helpful for people. And more than anything, I hope that people take action on that, right? Because just listening is great, but apply just at least one of these things that we've talked about to your business. and. I would love to hear how it goes. Excellent. And I will put links to all of the everything in the show notes for folks. And if they start in one place, it is the time tracking. Yes. Look at that time. Excellent. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you so much, Adrian, for coming on the podcast. One of the things I loved in our conversation was the emphasis, the repeat call to action to do a time audit. As part of the onboarding process for my VIP clients, I request screenshots of my clients' Google or Outlook calendars. And just the act of asking for that is illuminating for them. For most people, what they see is only meetings are blocked out. But what's not blocked out is time to proactively work on certain aspects of their businesses. A common response is, I always wondered where my time went, and now I know why I don't know where my time goes. It's because I don't make or decide or choose to dedicate it to a certain thing. No wonder it often feels like my time just evaporates and goes to whatever feels most urgent in the moment. So the act of reality checking our calendars is illuminating unto itself. And from there, we can get more intentional about planning time use in ways that actually pay dividends. There is so much more to the book, Clockwork. And if you haven't already, I urge you to go out and pick up a copy. You can also check out the Run Like Clockwork podcast if audio is your style. If you want to connect with Adrienne, you can find her at runlikeclockwork.com. And all of these links and references will be in the show notes. I want to share with you that I have a new ebook out. It's six easy steps to double your revenue. And inside it, you will see the six most common changes that my clients have implemented that have resulted in significant revenue growth in their businesses. It can be hard to believe that doubling your revenue is within reach. And I want you to know that it is. One of the things that Adrian and I talked about before we hit record was the need for additional support. People reach out to her company when they need additional support, when they know that They can't by themselves implement all the tools and frameworks that are inside of Clockwork. Most of us have had the experience that sometimes having the knowledge simply isn't enough to implement change. And often we need the support of an outside person to help us actually make the decision to change things, to implement that change, and to stay with us through the uncomfortable phase of changing the way that we do things. So I'm happily passing along to you what I see my most successful clients doing. And if you would like some additional support to decide to implement and implement these changes, know that you can always reach out. I'm at Geraldine at SheThinksBigCoaching.com. Last thing, if you know a CPA, will you help me and share this episode with them? Sharing episodes is how people find out about the podcast. And it does mean a lot to me when you pass it along to someone who might benefit from the content. When you share an episode, you win because you're helping someone. 
They win because they get something of value and I win because I get more listeners. So when you share an episode, we all win. All right, that's it for me, everyone. I will see you next week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down a 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.